Welcome back, everybody, to the Lug Nuts and Beer podcast. I'm Tom Crilly, joined by my good buddy and co-host, as always, Dylan Flickinger. In today's episode, Kevin Harvick grabs his first win of the season, and the NASCAR playoff spots are filling up quickly with some big-name drivers left winless so far in 2017. Plus, after another exciting road course race, we break down how many road course races should be added to the NASCAR schedule and where they should be. How's it going over there, buddy? It's been a it's been a little minute since we've done this. The boys are back in town. Yeah, <laughs> that's man. right. It has been too far too long, far too yeah. long. But we're back full force. Don't worry. We've we've, we've missed a few races. We missed uh-huh. about the past month. Uh, just to <laughs> give everybody an idea of why. I mean, I I was gone. I missed a couple races. I was on the West Coast visiting one of my buddies who lives out there. And Looked amazing. Moved out there. Yeah, it was a great trip, um, but obviously I didn't take any of my recording equipment to California mm-hmm. and Oregon, so mm-hmm. we and were kind of dead in the water on those weeks. Then my uh, oldest nephew graduated from high school, which is just mind-blowing, so I was down in North Carolina for that, and then last week, I don't know what happened last week, but just getting caught up. Life happens, man, usually around this time of year. Summer's yep. happening, people, more activities going on outside. Life well, we, happens. We knew that was going to happen, too. We talked about it when we geared up to start this season back in Daytona. Like, it's it's really easy to do this podcast February through April and into early May. But then as soon as you hit mid-May and go into summer, there's just yep. so much going on and so many plans. And it makes it difficult. But we're going to try to keep doing it all through the summer as often as we can. And we're going to try to be as consistent as possible because we don't want to... We don't want to leave everyone hanging. Heck yeah, NASCAR is happening whether we're with it or not. We <laughs> That's stay well, on. And, and, and to be fair, most of the times we were watching the races, it just the recording schedule gets so difficult. So we mm-hmm. still know what's going on. We're still following it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Even <laughs> I've been listening to MR, MRN all the time, man. I, I love those guys. Another MRN shout out. Mm-hmm. Always, all the time. always clutch. All the time. So, Kevin Harvick grabbed his first win of the season. He led 24 laps. That was one shy of the race high. Martin Truex Jr. led 25 laps, uh, but his motor expired there toward the end. Um, So, Kevin Harvick had had an interesting season, right? He switched to Mm -hmm. Ford with Stuart Haas Racing at the beginning of the year and had five top fives this year, but, you know, kind of in typical Kevin Harvick fashion the past three or so years, has come close a few times and even dominated a few races and just wasn't able to seal the deal. So it's good to see him finally get his first his first win of the year. And also, it was his first win at Sonoma, which is kind of a big deal for him since, you know, he grew up in California. Right, right. And I think I, you heard him talk a little bit about how with um, playoff, uh, road course being in playoff uh, – talk here here going forward how it it went from being a just kind of an afterthought to something of importance for him so definitely a a boost for his confidence there as well yeah and I actually thought for some reason in my mind I thought Kevin Harvick was always pretty competitive at road course races and maybe he was but I just thought in the past that he had won at road courses a lot so then when I heard that this was his first win at Sonoma I went back and I'm like well maybe he's won multiple times at Watkins Glen and I look back, and he only won once at Watkins Glen, too, and that was back in 2006. So hmm. he's not necessarily a road course ringer. He seems to run well there, but this is only his second career road course victory, and I think he has something like 36 career victories. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. I just I just want to say that while I was out on that West Coast trip, I did stop at Sonoma about oh, three weeks right. before the race. I forgot about that. How was it? It was awesome. It it was a uh, I'd never been to a road course before, and obviously there wasn't really anything going on. They had some type of cars there. Uh, it, it actually looked like indie cars. They, I know they weren't indie cars, but it looked like a version of them were there testing. So they had guys going huh. around the track, um, doing time trials, but. It was cool. I mean, being at a NASCAR track when it's not a race weekend is weird. The place is dead. I've been to Kentucky Speedway before on the track on a random Sunday in the summertime before, and it's just weird. Like, you have this Goliath structure, and it seems like it's completely dead. Not a soul's there. But Sonoma was cool. I'd like to go back. I've been saying for a long time I want to go to a road course, but obviously the one for you and I that's way more convenient would be going to Watkins Glen up in New York. That's yep. just a relatively short drive away from us. So I don't know if I'll be able to make it back out to Sonoma. Then they only run there once a year too, so it doesn't make it easy. Right. We'll make it there at some point. I mean, I'm I'm figuring that every track that NASCAR races at, we're going to go to at some point. At least that's my plan. That's the goal. Right. The thing the thing about road courses I, is I want to experience it, but I can't imagine it's super spectator friendly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, it, it seems new and interesting and it intrigues me, but at the same time, like, I only imagine you're going to catch little glimpses here and there. Yeah, well, it was so. kind of like I ran cross country in high school, and I felt bad anytime family came to watch me because I was just literally in the woods for a good seven-eighths of the race <laughs> especially tusky valley oh yeah, yeah definitely they would they would see you at the starting line and then they'd see you when you cross the finish line and that was pretty much it there was like a whole three miles in between that nobody saw 90 percent of the race yeah Th- that's kind of how i feel like watching a road course would be right yeah i'm right there with you I'm right but i still want you. to experience it mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna have to do that <laughs> definitely that brings up our next point though we're 16 races deep in the 2017 season. There have already been 11 different winners, all right? So so there's been 11 different winners, and generally winning a race is considered your automatic bid into into the playoffs. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. So, But usually every year you've got, I don't know, I'd say four, maybe even five guys who end up making the playoffs based on points who don't have a win at all. Because generally, there's just not more than 10 or 11 or 12 winners through the first 26 races of the season. But here we are with 10 races to go until the chase, and we've already got 11 different guys. Now, only 10 of those count as wins because Joey Logano's one win was encumbered due to his penalty. Mm -hmm. But let's look at the guys who don't have a win who very well could grab wins in the next 10 weeks and eat up playoff spots. So... You have Joey Logano, right? He's already won a race. If mm-hmm. he wins, his will count toward that that 16 driver entry. Um, Kyle Busch has been on the verge multiple times this year. You have Matt Kenseth, probably one of the most well established and, and longest racing drivers in the sport, who hasn't won a race this year. Denny Hamlin, who's been close a few times. Dale Jr., who could very well win at Daytona this coming weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's that's four guys right there. Yeah, I mean, that the four you just mentioned don't even include some of the other guys who maybe aren't on that list or, you know, haven't been as close as those guys or perennially, perennially as close, but Chase Elliott, Jamie McMurray's been having a really great season. I mean, yeah. it, I, it's we're running out of room here. Yeah, we are. And so we might see this really interesting thing where, I mean, honestly – 
I could I could see Kyle Busch and Matt Kenseth and Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott snagging wins before the playoffs. So I could see a world where only one driver makes the playoff based on points, and that's going to leave a lot of disappointed drivers looking in who would generally have made the playoffs. Right. Because right. – Oh, go ahead, buddy. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say I think I think that's pretty cool though, and I it, it it's this parody in NASCAR that a lot of seasons we don't see. We see the wins stack up at the top of the leaderboard where one guy has five, six wins, the next three guys have three wins, and you know a couple have two maybe. And uh, this season, instead, we're gonna see a lot of different faces in the playoffs and a lot of different guys who looking across the board, everyone kind of has a shot. Yeah, well, and you're absolutely right about the parity, too, because if you look at the win list, so through 16 through sixteen races, only one driver has more than two wins, and that's Jimmy Johnson, and it's, it's so weird to say that he has three wins because I feel like almost all of his wins this year have been really sneaky wins. Right. Wins where he wasn't really up front and competing for wins for the entire day. And then somehow, in typical Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals fashion, they find themselves right up there racing toward the win at the end of the race. So, yeah, he has three wins. But then you look, Kyle Larson, who's had an incredible year, has been really strong, a competitor every weekend almost, only has two wins. Martin Truex Jr., who certainly had an opportunity to grab a lot of wins, has has two. Uh, Brad Keselowski has two. And that's it. Everybody else who's won a race only has one win. So everybody's kind of bunched up right there right now. Right. And right. there's still a couple a couple precious or a handful of precious spots for the taking. Right. So I mean, and what that means is we're we're going to continue to see more and more competitive racing. So I I think we're we're set up here over the next handful of races to see guys, you know, pushing even more more so than they normally would. Not that, you know, obviously they're not racing hard all the time, but you're getting to a point where you're pressing that panic button a little bit. Yeah, 10 races to go. I mean, you don't have a lot of time to rebound, and there are certain drivers like one Dale Earnhardt Jr. who don't have a lot of room for error. Right. I mean, I guess he theoretically could still make it in on points. He's sitting 20 seconds right now in points. But through those next 10 races, he would have to be almost flawless after some super poor luck to start the season. Right. Yeah, it's almost winning in. Oh, and let's be real. There's there's a reason that this has happened. There have been some very fluky races in NASCAR so far this season. There mm-hmm. are five guys who have won a race that generally, honestly, coming into the season, you probably weren't expecting to get a win. Now, I know Kurt Busch is a former champion and is a talented driver, but... I don't know. I just he he's not a lock to win a race in any given year for me. It depends on mm-hmm. how how his attitude is and where his head's at. Right. So he leads he wins the Daytona 500 on the last lap because everybody else ran out of gas. Right. So there's one kind of fluky victory, right? He didn't win that race cuz he was dominant or cuz he had the best car. He happened to be in the right place at the right time. Then a couple weeks later at Phoenix Ryan Newman broke a 127 race winless streak off of tire strategy. That's it. It was just tire strategy. He was not a dominant competitive car all day long and won that race on tire strategy. And I'm not saying any of this is wrong. Any way you can get a win, you'll take them. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it's kind of fluky, right? Right. Then you've got Austin Dillon who won the 600 on fuel strategy. 
You have Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who has been racing for years to no avail, who wins Talladega, which we all know anything can happen at Talladega. And you have Blaney, who's certainly run very strong this season and has been very talented. He won at Pocono. But coming into this year, you weren't he wasn't a guy that you could say for sure was going to get a victory. So that's five guys that's five guys who are chewing up playoff spots who maybe people didn't really expect to be there. Yeah, I mean, I I truthfully you're listing off those races and those are races for me that I almost do a double take on because I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I completely forgot because we watch these races where sometimes guys dominate the entire race, and then at the very end, we yeah, we end up with situations like exactly exactly what you just described. So I mean, and truthfully, I'm sitting here looking over this week's results, and I, I kind of go back to what I was just saying a few minutes ago. Clint Boyer is another guy who could be left on the outside looking in, who has had one of his best seasons in recent memory. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be exciting next month and a half of racing for sure. Yeah, and that's a good point about Clint Boyer, too. He's kind of been middling around in the, in the middle of the pack or whatever for the past few years on a slightly underperforming race team. So he finally gets over to Stuart Haas Racing this year, and he's probably thinking, oh, there's no way I, I missed the chase this year. And there's a very real possibility, unless he grabs one. I mean, he's looking good on points right now. But like, like we just said, points might not get it done. Right. That brings us to our next topic, which is road courses. It's something that we hear people clamoring for every single time they go to a road course, two times a year. People always say, why are there only two road courses? So, Dylan, after all these years, why are there still only two road courses, and what should be done about that? Um... There are only two road courses because road courses, I just feel like, have never been quite accepted by NASCAR. I mean, we kind of think back to um, NASCAR's roots, and road courses aren't where you go. I mean, when when you think of of road courses, you think um, Formula One, you think of, um, I I don't know, I mean, if you want to go that far you could talk about um dirt bikes and off-road courses that sort of thing but nascar is not where you go for road courses um but i think i think with the uh like formula one kind of rise in popularity i i think we're seeing a lot more people in recent years calling for something different no i hope so i'm not gonna lie i was in that boat when i was a kid when i was young and was watching nascar I hated when they went to road courses, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. I feel like all the drivers in recent years have gotten way better at road course racing because back in the day, there used to be this thing called road course ringers, and people still talk about it, but it's not actually a thing anymore. You'd have like guys like Borisette and Patrick Carpentier who would come in to certain cars just for just for the two road course races, and they would be what they considered road course ringers or road course specialists who would just completely out-talent and outclass the rest of the NASCAR guys. And so it just was like those races were like a wrench in the schedule. You just were like, well, it's a whole new class of guys running up front. Like our drivers that we watch on a regular basis aren't any good at this other than a handful. I remember Robbie Gordon was Robbie Gordon was good at road courses, uh, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. But a lot of the guys just didn't seem to figure it out. And I don't know what's changed, but now road course ringers aren't even a thing anymore. Everybody seems to be pretty damn good at road course racing how even dale jr is now and he is notorious for hating road course racing but in the past four races at 
at Sonoma, he hasn't finished worse than 11th. So, hmm. I mean, I don't right. know. But I will say that people are clamoring for more, and it's exciting. It's it's nice to have a, a breakup from your typical mile-and-a-half track, right? I oh, mean, yeah. we, what, what, do we, what do we have, 12 or 13 mile-and-a-half tracks too through many. the course of the season? Too many. Yeah. Too many. Throw, throw, like, throw some kinks in the schedule. So that got me thinking, like, okay, where people are saying to – to add road courses, and a lot of people think that, that in, in the next year or so, the Charlotte fall race will be turned into a road course. They'll reconfigure the track and u- utilize the inside of it to have like a partial road course, partial speedway track or whatever, which would be interesting, and that would be the playoff road course race. But I think if you're going to add a road course to the playoffs, you actually have to add another one as well. Okay, okay. Keep going. I, I, I don't like I think if you add one you have to add two because I don't think only having two road courses in the regular season and then putting one in the playoffs I don't think that road course in the playoffs would be representative enough of the regular season. So think about this with restrictor plate tracks they go to Daytona, Talladega and Daytona and the regular season. There's three restrictor plate tracks in the regular season and there's one in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to add a road course to the playoffs, I think you need to have three in the regular season and one in the playoffs to have to get to paint if you want an accurate representation of the regular season and the playoffs and you're going to put a road course in there, then you need to add another one. That's just what I think. Okay. Okay. I like so that. I th- I think it doesn't really go from two to three. I think it needs to go from two to four if you're going to go that way. Okay. I like where your head's at with that. Yeah. Because let me let, – I did the math. I did the math on this, all right? Okay. Break it down. So, so there are two regular season road course races out of the first 26 races. That's mm-hmm. 8% of the season. Mm-hmm. That's not very much. That's a very minuscule percent, percentage of the season. Right. Now, there are three restrictor plate tracks in the regular season. That's 12% of the regular season. That That's enough for me to be like, okay, yeah, you're going to have to add another road course race. 1.5-mile tracks, that's 23% of the regular season. Yep. They make up 50% of the playoffs. Boo. Five out of the 10 playoff races in NASCAR are mile a mile-and-a-half mile and half tracks. Huh. So get rid of the, one of those. Add a road course to the playoffs, and I think everybody's a lot better off for it. Man, that's the thing that I just, that just ugh, irks me about NASCAR is that all of these tracks are owned by the the same few groups of people, and what it all it, it boils down to money. You know, I mean, who who are you going to go to and say, hey, give us your playoff race, and who's going to be okay with that? Unless nobody. they have no nobody, unless they have a road course in their back pocket that they also <laughs> own, which they very well could. I don't know, but I don't know. That's just uh, that. That's a hurdle that NASCAR is going to have to figure out how to get over. You're either going to have to hurt someone's feelings, someone's pocketbook, maybe both. But yeah, I think for the health of the sport, um, that. Yeah, I I agree. I think adding just one to the playoffs, like you're saying, doesn't quite make sense. Which, by the way, have you seen the layout of the road course at Charlotte, which is being called the Roval? Uh, no, I have not. Oh, my gosh, dude, you gotta check it out. It's awesome. It's right. really awesome. So, um, here I'm just gonna spit out some some fun facts for you here. Um, thirteen turns. 
2.4-mile road course incorporating part of the infield and all but 400 feet of the one-and-a-half-mile oval, um, which they'll race 500 kilometers over 130 laps. So, yeah, if you look at it, it's cool, man. Um, there, There's really... It's essentially like just ha- combining the two, like a road course and an oval. Like they're still going to be racing on about, mm, I don't know, 90% of the actual track, but just throw in a road course in the middle. Yeah. Should be interesting. Well, I'd be interested to see how, how it plays out. I mean, it sounds cool. I just, I wonder if it would be one of those things that the novelty would wear off of it real fast. I don't yeah, know. We'll I could see. see that too. I could see that. So, so everybody knows that there's going to be another road course. That's probably going to be one of them. I was thinking, now hear me out on this, right? So if you go with my theory and say if you're going to add one, you have to add another one. I think there's one very reasonable, very logical candidate road course to get, to get a NASCAR Monster Energy Series race. Go ahead. Hit me with it. And I know it's going to sound like I'm a little biased since I live in Ohio. Oh, but yeah. Mid-Ohio in Lexington, Ohio, I think is the perfect candidate because it already hosts an IndyCar race and a NASCAR Xfinity Series race every season. So it's already proven that it can be done and it can work there. Uh, It's a 2.2-mile road course with 13 turns. There are no races in Ohio, okay? Right. Which, Which really, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Ohio, population-wise, is the seventh largest state in America. It's where we're from. So it's where we're from. It's where we're from. Like I said, <laughs> it's going to be hard to not appear biased on this. But when you have a place that's, you know, for instance, Columbus, Ohio, 50% of the U.S. population lives within 500 miles of Columbus. So that is a crazy fact. Right. That's true. Wow. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I remember that from like high school days hearing that, but I haven't heard it since. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so this this track is in Lexington. I feel like it's a very reasonable and logical choice. But hey, I don't I don't get paid to make those decisions. So <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> uh, all right, I, I like what it. Your thoughts on you? Listen, you'd love a race in the Buckeye State, right? Oh, come on, yeah, of course I would. And I mean, obviously I'm biased, but it, it does. It makes sense. And, and even before you told me that little fact about fifty percent of the population of the United States of America living within five hundred miles, which how far? How seven hours? Is that how long that's, it would take yeah, you? About that's roughly maybe yeah, eight. I, think so. I mean, that's not that's not a far drive. I mean, I drive and, seven or eight hours all the time for NASCAR races. Right? And I mean, to be able to offer that to 50% of the population of the United States, I mean, yeah, we've got that. But no, I, I mean, I'm I'm on board with you, man. It's already set up. Other um, large um, established series are already hosting events there. So the infrastructure is in place. The seating is in place. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. I know they should Sold. be paying me. They Sold. they should be Sold. they should be they should be paying me for this type of advice. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it. I know it, my man. Oh, uh, hey! I while we are just talking about, I I just had the most random thought. I I'm sitting here in my bedroom, and you know I know a lot of people like to talk about um, NASCAR attendance issues, and I think complete. I I've had this thought several times in the last few months. 
I think we are completely missing a fan base that has gone untapped in the United States of America for NASCAR. Who is this? This is the Amish. The oh, Amish. Yeah. Could you imagine taking a person who rides a horse and buggy all day, has probably never gone over the, sp- the speed of 15 miles per hour if they're a true <laughs> Amish, and presenting them with NASCAR. The awe and wonder. I mean, we're missing out on thousands of people. They could be NASCAR fans. I'm thinking next year for Dover, I'm just going to haul me up the largest Amish buggy you've ever seen and take down some Amish. But Dylan, you're you are a true visionary, my friend. <laughs> See, now I should be getting paid for this too. Come on now. <laughs> not just you. You're not the only one with good ideas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, it would be something for them. That would be an experience for sure. <laughs> Uh, we could yeah. find all the ones who are on Rumspringa. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, they would love it. They would love it. Oh man, too yep. much. Well, listen, buddy. So the boys are going to Daytona this week. Last race at, da- at Daytona for the year. So last race at Daytona potentially for Dale Junior's career. I mean, he he has hinted that he may see himself coming back and running some Daytona 500s in the future, but as far as we know, this could be his last race at Daytona. So I know I just kind of buttered you up with that that little <laughs> that little that hat right there, but who you got who you got for this weekend? Oh man. I Okay. So I'm gonna say that I think that Dale is going to be there at the end. I think he's going to have another solid performance. But I I haven't seen enough out of Dale to say that he's going to win. I mean, I know I know he's going to be one of the favorites going into the weekend. It hurts my heart to say it, but I don't think he's going to win. I think I've, I'm torn between two guys. I think Denny Hamlin has been running fantastic recently. We know he's good at Daytona, um, but I am going to go with Kyle Busch. I think he, he's been due for a long time, consistently had a good car. A lot of those kind of fluky wins that we talked about haven't gone his way. Um, and I think he is going to find a way to get it done this weekend. It's been almost a year, a full calendar year, since Kyle Busch has won a race in NASCAR's top series. He is legitimately out of people to blame. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Who you got? I got to go with Dale, man. This is his it. last this is going to be his last ride there. Like you said he's always the favorite and truthfully this race this weekend yep. is his best chance to make mm-hmm. it into the playoffs. This is it. I mean, he could win a race elsewhere. He's won one at the tracks that are coming up in the weeks <laughs> ahead. Uh, but this might be it. Th- this is the one where he is, you know, an odds-on Vegas favorite to win. Well, this is the track where you know, it's Earnhardt country. So if he's gonna win one, come on, Dale. It's gotta be. It's gotta be this one, I think. So I'm. I'm gonna pick Dale for the how, win. How much more exciting is it going to be to watch the race at Homestead in November if Dale is in the play? Well, if he's in the playoffs at that point, good God, I'd be losing my mind. Oh, that, but... that'd be incredible. That would be <laughs> incredible. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on, Dale. This is it. We need you. We need you. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it as always. Sorry it's good for to the, be back. Sorry for the delay since the last podcast, but thanks for sticking uh, with us. Yeah, we're rolling. All right, buddy. Let's send them off.
Bye, everybody. See ya.